0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at CelebrationChurchLive.com. Go ahead and take your uh, Uversion app and open it up or your notes that we handed you on the way in. And we are going to get moving forward on this eighth part of a series we've just called Roller Coaster. And in this roller coaster series, we've been taking an in-depth look at the life of Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis. And the last 14 chapters of Genesis are pretty much devoted to Joseph's life. we got a ton of narrative, we have a ton of story about what takes place in this guy's life. And this guy's life is a roller coaster. I mean, we we, in <coughs> we meet Joseph and he's... Seems to be on top of the world. He, he, he's one of the youngest uh, sons, but he's favored. He's taking care of business. He's got a great future ahead of him. And then all of a sudden, he has a dream, and he shares the dream. And his brothers already didn't like him. And then things get sideways, and they don't like him even more. And he gets sold into slavery. And then that's ugly and a mess, and he handles it amazingly well. And then he starts to come up. In this place of being a slave, and he's such a good job, does such a great job of taking care of other people's stuff. He's just as wonderful in taking care of other people's stuff that this guy Potiphar, that buys him as a slave, ends up chilling and just letting Joseph run the whole show, just let Joseph have control over everything. Well, pretty soon, Potiphar's wife begins to notice that Joseph is a handsome, well-built guy. And so, he is good-looking. And she apparently got bored with Potiphar and decides she wants Joseph. And she goes after Joseph, after Joseph with a vengeance. And Joseph is a man of integrity and honor. And his relationship with God helps him walk in a place of character. He says no. She gets sideways upset. She finally throws herself at him, and she grabs his outer cloak, trying to pull her to him and have her way with him. And he peels out of that cloak, and he runs away. And then she uses that as a place of accusation against him and tells her husband, this sorry old guy that you've been trusting tried to force himself on me, and he tried to rape me. And her husband believes her and throws him in jail. So it's this crazy stuff, falsely accused. Now he's in jail. We've been looking at him while he's in jail. And he's in jail and he's good at taking care of other people's stuff. When somebody asks him to do something, he just does a great job of it. He's just faithful. Everywhere you turn, he's faithful, and he ends up running the prison crazy, crazy. He runs the prison to the point that the that the guy, the prison official, the warden, just kicks back and lets Joseph be in charge of everything. Then we look, and we caught up with him last week that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gets upset with two of his number one guys in running his household, the guy who was his cupbearer and the guy who was his baker. And he gets upset with them. And he throws them into his jail, which is where Joseph is. And Pharaoh wants them taken care of. So whose hands do they end up being entrusted to? Joseph's. So Joseph is there and they have this dream. They each have a dream. And Joseph believes that God can speak and move through him that god owns this interpretation and he interprets the dreams and it goes really sideways for one guy and one another guy gets restored and joseph says when you get back before pharaoh remember me and get me out of here tell him about my predicament and the guy forgets him forgets him and it's just over and over this up and down up and down up and down just things starts looking good whoosh they go sideways and I don't think we have to dig very far down the rows here to find somebody who might would raise their hand and go, you know what? It sounds like my life. Just when things start to kind of look like they're going in a decent direction, man, everything blows up. Just when it looks like we're finally going to get on top of things, man, the... the, the, the transmission blows on the car the kid goes crazy that this happens the oil field turns down that this happens all these different things and life is just a mess but we see that no matter what happened that joseph trusted god he trusted god And you see that it changed everything for him. Let's get back to this concept we've looked at over and over again when you look at your notes. See, joy in life isn't about embracing the ups or avoiding the downs. But in knowing that no matter what life throws at us, God's love will carry us forward. That's where joy comes from. That's where it comes from is that no matter what life throws at us, God's got us. And we don't have to go, oh, is, what is, what's it going to be like today? What's today going to be like? We don't have to be timid about getting out of bed in the mornings. We don't have to be fearful when the phone rings. We don't have to, to, to avoid opening the mail because we don't want to see what's come. We don't have to do those things because God will carry us forward if we will dare to invite him in to that part and trust him. Joseph invited him in to his slavery Joseph invited God's presence into his to the place of prison. Joseph invited him into the places of betrayal and all of those different things, and he trusted that God was there with him, not that God had abandoned him and therefore he was in jail or in prison or in that, but that God was with him through the whole thing, yeah. and he trusted him in it. See Romans fifteen thirteen. We come back to it over and over again. Says, "May the God of hope fill you with joy." and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's as you trust in Him. There's this place where there's, as we're we're trusting in God, not trusting in ourselves to do God things. We're trusting in God. And there are lots of places to where that becomes a place of tension. And so many times we can find we can find that we begin to add spiritual things and God things and church things into our lives so that maybe we have one more tool to be able to get life to be the way we want life to be. Instead of trusting that God is there with us. Otherwise, what we do is we turn God into a way to get what we want. Instead of trusting that what God wants is great for us. We believe that what we want is great for us. And if we can bring God in and get him in our team, then we can get what we want via God. And see, God says, no, you need to let go of your ways and trust my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. You go your ways and you're going to end up too low. Your ways are low. My ways are higher. Trust me and I'm going to take you places you didn't even know were on the map. You didn't even know those things were possible if you would sit there and trust me. And we can so many times try to use this relationship with God and these things and and, and good Christian life as a way to try to get God to give us what we want in life. Now, my children have grown up in a ministry home. And not a single one, from Kenan all the way down They've all grown up being drug around to ministry stuff. I mean, Kenan grew up going to kids' camp and retreats, and, and it was all part of it. All of them just grew up in that, that this is part of it. So every home has a culture. Every home has these things that are that are valued. And so because of growing up in a ministry home and a church home, well, then it doesn't take long for a kid to begin to recognize that Scripture has some weight then if there's some if a scripture says something then man with it's this this has some weight behind it. Well when Weston, who's a senior in high school, we looked at his senior pictures this week and I'm trying not to cry as they were looking at him like oh my gosh and I was like, oh you know, Keenan was supposed to graduate. Like man he's the oldest one. Get get him gone, you know. But this is a little rooster. And so and so Brooker's it was heartbreaking she was my OBG my original baby girl and so and uh and so but Weston he did little little Weston and so little chubby cheek Weston he's supposed to be there and 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 he's graduating and it's just oh it's just it's just been it's just been tough and um so (coughs) it makes you be a little a little reminiscent and um it was, uh, I remembered a story when Weston was, was five, and um, we were, uh, um, there's, you know, being the younger brother, um, older, a few older siblings, he, he kind of, he was the middle child for a long time, so he kind of got the, kind of got all the mess there for a little while. So at five years old, um, at some point he was in the, in the bathroom, he was in, the, in the, his bedroom, at some point and Kenan leaves the room with Weston still in there, and we had trained them, you know, turn the light off, you know, do your part, you know, electricity isn't free, turn the light off. And so Kenan leaves the room and turns the light off. Well, Weston is still in there. <laughs> and so Weston's five, and that man, that ticked him off. So he's sitting there, and he was done. He was tired of people running over him. Turning the light out on him. He was about to put his foot down and he'd figured it out. This was going to change things for the Clark family. And he walked in there and he said, I made up a scripture today. <laughs> I'm like, All right. Woo. Hold up, Ken. You don't, we ain't writing new ones here. That's God's territory. But we just listened. And he said, don't turn out the light when somebody's in there. <laughs> so he kn- at least knew that if he could tie it to scripture, then it was going to have some weight in the Clark household. And so, and I had to let him know, uh, boy, that you don't make up scriptures. <laughs> and so we don't write our own here. That gets dangerous. Um, that gets that gets dangerous. And so, uh, um, but the thing was is that. That his, his little young self, he, he wanted God on his side in this deal. He wanted it to say, man, I wasn't treated right, and so I'm just, I'm just going to make up a scripture. I'm going to make up something God said, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Well, the truth was at five years old, he didn't know that, that was all, God had already covered that. There in, in Luke, where it, we know the golden rule, treat others like you would want to be treated. Nobody wants to be stuck in the bathroom with the light off. Nobody does. That's common human courtesy. But the thing was, is here was the here was the little childish difference. Is what he had not done. What we're supposed to do is look at the scriptures and let them speak to us instead of trying to find a scripture to beat our way through life with. And try to force our will. What we're supposed to do is go to this and let it be a reflection and show us. We go to the Word and we go to God's Word and it should speak to us and us begin to mold to it, not try to find things so that we can force people into our mold. That is what trusting God is all about. It's being in a place of vulnerable and saying, God, I believe that you love me so much that even in the places that it makes me uncomfortable, your ways are better than my ways. Even when it speaks to what I feel like should naturally be okay, your ways are higher. Than my ways. And that's when we begin to dare to lay down some of our, let down some of our guard. And we begin to, to lay down some of our preferences. And we let the scripture speak to us and begin to guide our lives. And some of the destructive things we think are okay. We begin to set them aside because God's ways are higher than our ways. And we let his word speak to us. See we've got to get this truth down here. We have to get this truth. That living by faith isn't about self confidence, it's about God confidence. Our culture is so self confident focused that we can sit there and we can turn this this Bible, this living document, into some sort of sad self help book. We need this because we can't help ourselves. We need this because with it self-help don't work. We need this because we need God help. We need Holy Spirit help. We were broken and messed up and God reached into us and made us alive again. And we're new creations because of what He's done. And we're not just trying to revamp and rework the old creation. We have to recognize and be in a place where that this isn't about self-confidence. It's about God-confidence. And that's what I love about this point here in Joseph's story, because if there's any place that Joseph's self-confidence could have just been at an all-time low, was in here in this place of of dealing with dreams. Remember, this roller coaster got started with Joseph having a dream. And he had a dream that his brothers who hated him were going to come down and and bow before him that they were going to appreciate him and, and recognize what he had to offer and here was this guy who had been hurt and rejected by his brothers all his life and he gets this vision from God this dream from God that it's not always going to be this way you're not always going to be on the outside you're not always going to be hated in your own family things will turn around and he shares it and they don't understand it and it turns sideways but let's Let's look at Genesis 41, verse 1. This says as when two full years had passed, this was after he interpreted the the dreams for the for the baker and the the cupbearer and got forgotten. When two full years had passed, he spent two more years in prison. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat and They grazed among the reeds. Among them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And then that's when things get really weird, and it's like an acid trip dream. And it says, and the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Cows don't eat cows. Cows eat grass. You know, there are some a- other animals that, that are cannibalistic. Cows are not cannibalistic. And so here's these, 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 these really gaunt, skinny, sad cows come up and then they're eating. And cows don't come out of rivers. So it's this, this crazy dream. They come out of this river. They come up and they start eating these big, healthy, wonderful cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. And then he fell asleep again and had a second dream. And this time seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And then after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted and thin and scorched by the east wind. And the thin heads of grain swallowed up these seven healthy grain. Now the grain's going after itself. And he's having these crazy dreams. And the Pharaoh woke up and it had been a dream. And then in the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all his magicians and all his wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Like, man, these Pharaoh's got some crazy dreams. We wouldn't even know what to think about this. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Oh, man, I blew it. I blew it, I forgot. I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. And each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us, I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled or beheaded. So, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So, here he is, have been in the prison, seemingly forgotten about in the prison, his good deeds to his fellow prisoners forgotten about, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, he now finds himself standing before the most powerful man on the planet, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you hear a dream and you can interpret it. I cannot do it. I can't do it. Joseph recognized that he can't do it. No chest pounding. No, man, I've done this before. I've got this. No, none of the normal self-help, self-confidence. You know what? Maybe I've kind of fell on my face on my own dream, but I did help those two guys or did understand those. And you know what? No, he just straight up tells Pharaoh, I can't do it. I can't do it. His self-confidence, he understood his limitations. I can't do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Don't look to me. Look to God. I can't do that. But God can. Remember when we talked about the the cupbearer and the baker with theirs? Joseph tells him the interpretation belongs to God. Go ahead and tell me. Dare to believe that God, who can handle all of it, can work through a limited Joseph. Here he is again recognizing it's, he's still understanding. It's not about his own self-confidence. It's about God confidence. It's about understanding who he is. That's why all God wants us to do is to trust him. If we can do that, we can tr- God can do anything. And I tell you what, as we as the church has grown and we've moved forward, it, it's been it's just been it's been crazy and dealing with the, the the projects and and all of this different stuff. And and the truth is, I told, I've told people, I was like, you know what? I was in over my head from day one. When there was a handful of us that met in the living room, I was in over my head as a pastor. I did not have the skills; of, I could not do this. But I believe God was calling us in this direction. And so you know what? If I can swim in 12 feet of water and be over my head, I can swim in 1,000 feet of water. It's not me. It's to sit there. We're trusting this is God. I'm already. It's too big already. The issue's too big already. God's plan for you. You're not going to step into the fullness of God's plan if you only go in deep enough that you can hold bottom on your own. Because at that point, you're not trusting anybody but yourself. You're still just trusting you. And I, I know because God is calling all of us to a deeper place. All of us. To where it's all Him and none of us. And that's the place where God gets the credit and we don't get the credit. That's where a place where God shines when we're finally out there trusting Him and stepping into the fullness of what only He can do. What only He can do. I love that this was Paul's heart, 1 Corinthians 2. It says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I didn't come here with this beautiful speech and, and being able to, to articulate all sorts of stuff. In fact, I just chose that I wasn't going to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified, what he's done. And that's what I'm going to tell you. And everything else, I, I'm not even going to worry about. He says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, Most natural thing. So if you're going to stand up in front of everybody and speak, well, you've you got to speak with confidence. You've got to speak with command. It's not what Paul did. People ask me, Brenda, do you get, you get nervous? Every time I get nervous. My goodness. Thank goodness y'all smile because I'd run out of here if y'all had sour faces. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is about what God can do. So many times we want to come to church and we want to have this moment where we've kind of psyched ourselves up spiritually. And we're like, you know what? I think I can do it now. You know what? I can do this. I'm going to try harder. I'm I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to rededicate my life because my dedication is what it's all about. (laughs) Your dedication will get you as far as your last bit of dedication got you. What this is, is about trusting God. I didn't, I, I had the most weird moment. With God that changed my life forever when the summer before my senior year in high school. And I went to youth camp for all the wrong reasons and, and just just went to go have a good time. It was nothing about drawing closer to God. And man, God pursued me. And and I, I had my idea of what it meant to to, okay, go forward as a Christian. And I knew I couldn't do it. And that was my argument with God every night. It's like, God, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to come walk this aisle and have my camp tears and and be one of these these people that that just sits there and has this emotional moment and it doesn't make any difference. I'm telling you, God, I won't last two weeks. I'm not any good at this. You're asking something of me I can't give you. I can't be this perfect little Christian person I still like my, my, my friends that I hang out with. I still like these stupid stuff. I st- I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to. Why are you doing this to me, God? And he just kept drawing me in and saying, I love it. Just trust me. Just trust me. And I held out to the final, the final night, and I am sitting there just weeping and telling God, leave me alone. God, please, just leave me alone. I'm not going to do this. I'm not doing the charade. I'm done with this. And finally, I was like, all right. I thought I was pulling one over on him. I like, all right, fine. Sure. I, I, I will let. I, I will say yes, but I'm telling you, God, I'm not promising you anything. You just get this. This is it. This is all you get. I'm not quitting anything. I'm not stopping anything. I'm just i just give you me. That's fine. It's what you're asking for, and that's it. And I'm telling you, man, the Spirit of God just, just came in and ministered to me. And guess what God got? Exactly that. And if you had looked at my life through my senior year, from the outside being some Christian judge, you'd have said that camp experience was worthless. Those tears were worthless. Look at him. He's still at the parties. He's still doing all this stuff. He's no different. But see, God isn't about just behavior modification. He wants us. And if we will trust him with us, I'm telling you, he will make a difference in our lives. I never dreamed that there was a call of God on my life to to be a pastor or any of those things. I didn't know this was the direction he was going to take me. And I'd have really told him he was crazy then on that other. But but God just wants you. just It's not about you feeling like you can do this for God. It's about believing that God can do it for you. That's what this is all about. See, the truth is, is God can change your situation in one moment. We want to wrap it up with this. Genesis 41, 37 through 44 Parts of the, of the story we're not going to read word for word is, is he interprets the dream, tells him the dream, tells him what it means that there's going to be seven years of really, really, really good years, that there are going to be so much production. The land is gonna just bring forth bounty year after year for seven years, but it's gonna be followed by seven of the most miserable, faminous years ever, and they're so intense, they're gonna eat up all of the the abundance from the first seven years. And so, he said, So Pharaoh, I advise you that when things are good to take a chunk of that and hold it for the years that it's gonna be bad, because the bad's coming. And so Pharaoh's like, you know what? We pick up right here. It says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. And so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, we recognize that the Spirit of God comes and dwells with us because of what Jesus has done and made it available to us as new creations. But this guy on the outside's like, man, the Spirit of God is in you. That you're able to understand this and do this. Folks, the only good we can offer is what the Holy Spirit brings from within us. That's the only good we can offer to each other. And he says, and whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. This is the guy that says, I can't do it. But God can. But God can. And so all of a sudden now he begins to be promoted. He said, "So you shall be in charge of my palace." First place, Pharaoh said, "Is I need you taking care of my house. I need you taking care of where I live. You are God's with you. I want you in charge there." He said, "So I'm going to put you in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit." To your orders. This guy was had just shaved his prison beard off a couple of hours before. Shed his prison clothes a couple of hours before. And now Pharaoh is talking to all the most powerful people on the planet and saying these words to Joseph: says, Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring and he put <clears throat> from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in robes of fine, fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second command. And the people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. All of a sudden now, things just began to change. Why? It's because Joseph was ready for that moment by how he handled himself in prison. How he handled himself when things fell apart. How he handled himself when he got betrayed and stabbed in the back. Had he trusted God in the middle of his pain, that he trusted God in the middle of the ugly, that now all of a sudden he was ready for this place to be trusted with this authority and in this position. It was always, always, always meant as a place to serve for the benefits of others. See, Acts chapter 16, we see this same thing take place with Paul. it's always for a place to bring benefit to others. You can change your situation in a moment. Acts chapter 16, we catch up with Paul and Silas, and they're in jail. And they've just been preaching the gospel and sharing and, and people getting healed, and things have just been amazing. And they get arrested. And we're going to catch up in verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in the inner cell, in stocks, stripped, having been beaten, and they're not whining. They're praying and singing hymns. I'm telling you, folks, in your darkest moment, it may take every ounce of faith and courage you got, but I'm telling you, use your mouth to begin to turn the situation around and bring power to the God who's with you in the middle of that instead of of building up your own pain and your own own tragedy. Begin to speak life into that situation. So they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. They knew the situation and they hear them singing to God. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. See, if they had all left, was going to be his life was going to be held accountable for all the prisoners getting out. Earthquake or no earthquake, And so he goes to kill himself. Now, we don't know if this was a prison guard who had been nice to him or not prior to this. We don't know. But Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all right here. Paul and them didn't go, woo-hoo, God set us free. We gone. We don't care what happens to everybody else. Woo, this was a miracle. I'm out of here. This he still is there to serve others. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I don't think he's asking a spiritual question. The doors are open. Everybody's chains are loosed. Everybody can just run away. His life is on the line. And all he had been told is, sir, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. And his question is, is what can I do to be saved? We put our little religious lens on And we think he's asking the sweet little Sunday school thing of, how do I go to heaven? He just says, my life right here is at a crossroads. I, could, I should be put to death if anybody leaves. How can I be saved? And Paul, I love that he understands the heart of the matter and cuts through to the very core. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and, and you and your household will be saved. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others that were in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. See, in a moment, in a moment, The situation changed, but Paul and Silas understood that that change wasn't just for them. That that freedom wasn't just for them. So many times we get loose from something and we we get blessed or whatnot, and we just want to push it all for ourselves and use it all for ourselves. Joseph understood that his role in him being elevated there to the number two guy in Egypt was to be a blessing for that entire country that had been nothing but misery to him. It was there to be a blessing to others. See, Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Sometimes it takes a little while, folks. Sometimes it takes a little while for the promises of God as we walk, at, walk these things out. But as we hold on to them, God is faithful. See, our bottom line is God's promotion is always to be able to serve others better. If you will keep your mindset on loving God and loving others, man, there's no limit to what God can do. See, joy in life is found in trusting God through the twists and the turns. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.